It's Groundhog Day. Specifically, it's Brett Kavanaugh's Groundhog Day as the left repeats again and again the same lame, spurious attacks on the Supreme Court justice that they tried during his confirmation hearings. We examine the new allegations, why the left is launching them now, and why nobody knows anything. Then Joe Biden recounts a story about the time he almost whipped a razor blade wielding black gang leader named Corn Pop with a six foot long metal chain. The mainstream media black out a shocking abortion story and Mitt Romney reminds us how lucky we are that he lost in 2012. All that and more. I'm Michael Knowles and this is the Michael Knowles Show. Got to get through the New York Times because we got to get to Corn Pop later on today. But this Times story on Kavanaugh tells you so much about the modern left, the Democratic Party, the Democrat media complex, and what they're thinking in 2020. The timing of this is very interesting because this story, this totally botched, failed hit job by the New York Times on Brett Kavanaugh, ties in very nicely with a Peggy Noonan column that came out a few days ago. And the Peggy Noonan column was titled, Everyone Knows the Truth About Politics. It was based on the 10 rules for life, not Jordan Peterson, but James Burnham's 10 rules for life. Uh, James Burnham was a political philosopher. He was a former leftist. He became a conservative and then he helped found National Review. You know, he was a real hardcore leftist. He had a personal correspondence with Leon Trotsky, and then he becomes the central figure in the post-war conservative movement. He had 10 laws, 10 rules for life. He could have been a bestseller if he lived today. The first law that he put out is everybody knows everything. And what this means, how this applies today, is the idea that politicians aren't fooling anybody, that you can't actually conceal that much from the people. So the things that candidates and prognosticators and political operatives think are really closely held secrets are not. People just know. They get it. You see the politician, you ain't hiding anything. And a lot of my left-wing friends don't understand this. They, they just repeat the same tired talking points that the left is always regurgitating about Donald Trump. They repeat them to me as though we'd never thought of that. It had never occurred to anyone. One of my leftist friends, you know, I'm, I'm here in New York for a couple days. I was seeing one of, every one of my friends is a liberal in New York. One of them comes up to me, he says yesterday, Michael, it's just unfathomable that a Christian could ever support Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't have family values. Like this, this has never occurred to me before. So, oh, you go, okay, you got me. I didn't realize Trump's been married multiple times. Okay, I don't support him anymore, right? Like that's never occurred to me. By the way, just on the point, Donald Trump in a certain sense really does have family values. He likes families so much that he's started three of them, likes marriage so much he's done it three separate times. Nevertheless, the point is well taken. President Trump has not led a particularly upright life when it comes to sex and love and marriage. Okay, that's fine. But the funny thing about the talking point is not that. The funny thing is the left thinks, yeah, nobody's thought about this. The conservatives don't get this. We only, we know this. We know it. We know that President Trump, who has bragged about laying down with ladies who, isn't, who aren't his wife, rather, has laid down with ladies who aren't his wife. We know that. Everybody knows it. That stuff is baked into the calculus of support for President Trump. Why do Christians support Trump? Not because of his marriage habits, but ge because, generally speaking, he is better than the alternative, much better than the alternative, incredibly better than the alternative. That's why. It's very simple. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows everything about Donald Trump especially. But what occurred to me with this Kavanaugh hit 
with the, Don with the New York Times trying to dredge up these same tired, lame lies about Brett Kavanaugh, it occurred to me that there is a corollary to Burnham's law that everybody knows everything, which is that nobody knows anything. How can those two things be true at the same time? Because everybody does know everything, but nobody ever seems to remember that everybody knows everything. And so in another sense, nobody knows anything. The left is the great example here. The left has been lobbing three attacks and really only three attacks since 2016. And they're lobbing them again and again and again, like it's Groundhog Day over and over and over. We'll get to those three attacks. We'll get to have the New York Times flopped on them. We'll get to what this means for 2020. But first, I've got to thank my friends over at Quicken Loans. Support for the Michael Knowles Show comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. I live in LA. It's very difficult to find a house. Because you find a house, it's like a little shack with, you know, half a bathroom and maybe a, a pile of hay that you can sleep in, and it's still like $8 million. So I don't really like looking for houses in L.A., but the good thing is once I find the home of my dreams, getting a mortgage will be easy because of Quicken Loans. You know, Rocket Mortgage is the number one. I mean, they are, they are with award-winning client service and support every step of the way. When you go into buying a home, this is most likely going to be the most important financial decision you ever make in your life for, for the vast majority of people. And because I'm like, I'm a millennial, I never learned anything practical, barely learned how to balance a checkbook. So when you go into that decision, don't go in with the second best or the third best or go in blind, go in with number one, nine years in a row, Quicken Loans is ranked the highest in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination. Six years in a row, ranked the highest in mortgage servicing. Go with the best. When you work with them, you get more than just a loan because Rocket Mortgage is more than just a lender. Get started today online at rocketmortgage.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, rocketmortgage.com slash Knowles. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Push button, get mortgage. So this is, this is what we're struggling with. Everybody knows everything. The people do know everything. You're not going to fool the people. And yet nobody knows anything because people keep forgetting that first rule. Since 2016, the left has hurled three attacks on Donald Trump, on Trump's associates, and on Trump's supporters. Those attacks are that we are racists or rapists or traitors. It's one of the three. And when it gets to Trump himself, they say he's all three. He's a rapist. I got some unfounded allegations from someone somewhere. That's all they ever seem to do these days. He's a racist, even though he's condemned racism a zillion times. Doesn't matter. They call him a racist. Everybody knows Trump's a racist. That's what they said all over the Democratic debate a few nights ago. And he's a traitor. He's a stooge of Moscow. He's, he's working for Vladimir Putin. He's selling out his country for golf courses or something. I don't know. And the more this is disproved, the more the the... Mueller report comes out, shows Trump never had any collusion, did, never had any criminal conspiracy with Russia, nothing even resembling that. Doesn't matter. They dredge it up again and again and again like Groundhog Day. Right now, second verse, same as the first with Brett Kavanaugh. They called him a rapist back when he was up for the Supreme Court. Completely baseless allegations, no corroboration whatsoever, constantly changing storylines, a ton of evidence to the contrary. Didn't matter. They went forward with it. They pushed it again and again. They said he almost raped a girl. That he whipped out little Brett Jr. at a party freshman year. That he was harassing girls. One very prominent Democratic lawyer, Michael Avenatti, claimed that Brett Kavanaugh was part of a gang rape cabal in Georgetown that would go and find these poor women and hold them down and do all sorts of crazy things. Obviously, no evidence for any of that. And a number of them were 
proven liars, including the most famous one, Christine Blasey Ford. So what are they doing now after this completely blows up in their face, stymies their attempts to retake the Senate in 2018, totally fires up Republicans. What do they do now? The same freaking thing again. And they're doing it again, not because they believe the allegations are true. They don't. Nobody believes that Brett Kavanaugh is a, race, a rapist, rather. Nobody. Now, not one person in this country seriously believes it, who's hurling these allegations. But they're doing it because they think they can fool the American people. They learn nothing. They are doing it on the left because they think they're so much cleverer than everybody else. The trouble is everyone knows. Everyone knows this is BS except for them. They know it's BS too, but they don't know that everybody knows that it's BS. Here is the attack, New York Times. New York Times opinion tweets out, get ready for this, quote, having a penis thrust in your face at a drunken dorm party may seem like harmless fun, but when Brett Kavanaugh did it to her, Debbie Ramirez says, it confirmed that she didn't belong at Yale in the first place. So I'd just like to rewind a little bit to get into the premise here of the New York Times tweet. Apparently, according to the New York Times, having a penis thrust into your face is harmless fun. There are a lot of things that that implies, a lot of roads you could take that observation down from the New York Times, a lot of psychology of the Times editors that is really bubbling to the surface in this tweet. I'm not gonna touch it, not gonna touch it, pun intended. But that was the first allegation. They're saying Brett Kavanaugh whipped out little Brett Jr. at a party and it ruined this girl's Yale career. Now, if you look for that tweet right now, you're not going to find it. Why? Because the New York Times repeated a refrain that they've had to repeat, I don't know, like every day in the last few weeks. They sent out another tweet, quote, we deleted a previous tweet regarding this article. It was offensive and we apologize. <laughs> not, not only was it offensive, by the way, and it was offensive to those who don't think having that thrust into your face is harmless fun. But it's inaccurate. There's no evidence that any of this happened. And they had to retract or update in their terms, but really retract. An even crazier allegation. So building on the Debbie Ramirez allegation that Brett whipped out little Brett Jr. one day freshman year, they are now saying, this is the original New York Times allegation, just came out. Quote, a classmate, Max Steyer, saw Mr. Kavanaugh with his pants down at a different drunken dorm party where friends pushed his penis into the hand of a female student. Mr. Steyer, who runs a nonprofit organization in Washington, notified senators and the FBI about this account, but the FBI did not investigate. And Mr. Steyer has declined to discuss it publicly. There's a lot to unpack in that statement. The first thing to note, though, is even what if what the New York Times is describing is true, and by the way, there's no evidence that it is true, we'll find that out in a moment, even if it were true, what they are describing is not a sexual assault by Brett Kavanaugh. What they are describing is a sexual assault on Brett Kavanaugh. Because Brett Kavanaugh is not the one doing the pushing or the thrusting. Even the Times in the original story writes, friends pushed his penis into the hand of a female student. Not to cause you too much trouble in your mind's eye right now, but just, if, if you would, try to imagine the logistics of that. If some friends, some friends they are, go in and they push little Brett Jr. into, a, into the hands of a female student. So I guess the female student's hands are already out there, sort of waiting 
to receive something. And then the other friends get close enough to little, little Bretino that they can push it, but they're also close enough to the hands of the girl who apparently is eagerly awaiting this experience and push it. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Visually, when you try to picture what's happening here, none of it makes sense. And if anything, Kavanaugh is the victim here because some friends ostensibly are grabbing his little Bretino. Now, what actually happened? There's an editor's note. There's an update. September 15, 2019. An earlier version of this article, which was adapted from a forthcoming book, did not include one element of the book's account regarding an assertion by a Yale classmate that friends of Brett Kavanaugh pushed his penis into the hand of a female student at a drunken dorm party. The book reports that the female student declined to be interviewed and friends say she does not recall the incident. That information has been added to the article. So the girl, who even if the assault had not been on Brett Kavanaugh, which is what it actually describes, and then I guess through the transitive property onto this girl, the girl in question says it didn't happen. She has no recollection of it whatsoever. So then you, you look back and you say, wait a second, who, who's even making the allegation then? The allegation is being made by a, a guy named Matt, Mr. Steyer, Max Steyer. Who's Max Steyer? They say he's a classmate of Kavanaugh's at Yale, and he runs a nonprofit in Washington. When you look even one Google search into this guy, you find out he's not just some nonprofit, obscure person in Washington. He's a lawyer for the Clintons. Specifically, he was a lawyer on Bill Clinton's Monica Lewinsky scandal. <laughs> he was a lawyer defending Bill Clinton against sexual harassment allegations that turned out to be completely true. And he was defending that guy. But now he's going after Kavanaugh and completely fabricating an incident here that the woman in question, who that he says was assaulted, says didn't happen. She has no recollection of it. So now the new, here's the new version of the New York Times because they get caught with their hands in the cookie jar. They get caught lying. Then they update it, update, retraction. And even then they say, okay, the new version, a classmate, Max Steyer, saw Mr. Kavanaugh with his pants down at a different drunken dorm party where friends pushed his penis into the hands of a female student. Mr. Steyer notified the senators of this account. We corroborated the story with two officials who have communicated with Mr. Steyer. The female declined to be interviewed and friends say she does not recall the episode. So what they've added here is they corroborated the story. Okay, good. They corroborated it. So then the woman says that it happened and there's another eyewitness who says it happened, right? That, that would be what actual corroboration would be. No, none of that happened. The woman doesn't have any recollection of it at all. They corroborated the story by talking to two officials. Officials of what? Officials of Yale dorm parties? officials, uh, what officials are you talking, but it just makes it sound really official when they say that. It doesn't say what kind of officials they are. Two officials who communicated with Mr. Steyer. So they corroborated it by talking to two random people who heard it from the same guy that they're trying to corroborate his account. In other words, they didn't corroborate it at all. This is, of all the New York Times stupid hit pieces, this is the dumbest, most transparent, most illiterate journalistic malpractice I've ever heard of. And it's not just a Times article, it's two New York Times reporters who are excerpting this and adapting this from a book they've got out trying to smear Brett Kavanaugh. It's called The Education of Brett Kavanaugh, an Investigation. All completely bogus. We'll get into how it's bogus, but more importantly, 
More importantly than just showing how all of these people accusing Kavanaugh are proven, demonstrated hack liars up to and especially including Christine Blasey Ford. Before we get to that, though, and before we get to the significance of this, why it's coming up now, we have got to thank our friends at Daniels NYC. You know how much I love this company. Daniels NYC makes superb briefcases. Superb looking, superb quality. It's the best briefcase I've ever had. And I've had great briefcases, by the way. I've always made a point of having really nice briefcases, ostrich leather, all these kind of great vintage briefcases. The Daniels briefcase is my favorite one, hands down. This is why it's so important. Because I look around today, especially you travel at the airport or whatever, and you see all these millennials wearing business suits, walking down the streets of New York, business suits with backpacks, like they're 12-year-old boys. This is so frustrating to me. Sometimes you see grown men do it. Grow up, guys. Come on. It's, take some integrity in what you're doing. Take a little, have a little respect for yourself. Use a briefcase. Daniels is a New York City-based men's leather briefcase brand. Best part about this, let's say you're right out of school. You're going in for that job interview. Maybe you can't afford a briefcase. To get a decent briefcase, usually five, six, seven hundred bucks to get like anything even close to nice. Daniels, you can, by cutting out the middlemen, they sell directly to you. You're able to get a high quality luxury leather briefcase at the unbelievably reasonable price of $195. You're not going to touch anything even near this quality for less than $500. $195, they look great. They are the perfect proportions. They're not like these jumbo things for back when computers were like, you know, three feet long. They're perfectly tailored with that, this wonderful old New York style. They've got really cool linings. I've got this, it's like kind of fox motif inside. It just looks great. It feels great. Get it. Get it right now. Seriously. Look like an adult. Look sleek. It's awesome. My listeners can get this week 25 bucks off their Daniels briefcase at DanielsNYC.com by using the promo code Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L. 25% or 25 bucks rather off an already incredibly inexpensive briefcase. Exceptional quality plus free shipping. Do it. DanielsNYC.com, promo code Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, handcrafted high-quality leather briefcases with free shipping. Ditch the backpack. Look like a grown-up. Have some self-respect. DanielsNYC.com, promo code Michael. I love their leather briefcases. You will, too. So all this stuff about Kavanaugh, completely bogus. Christine Blasey Ford changed her story multiple times. There's no evidence that she ever met Brett Kavanaugh. We just found out last week her father supported Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation. Her father went up to his father at a country club that they both belong to and more or less apologized for his daughter's lunatic, hack, cynical, disgusting behavior. Her lawyer, Christine Blasey Ford's lawyer, Deborah Katz, admitted on video that her testimony was at least in part motivated by her insane infanticidal desire to keep Roe versus Wade in place. Here's her attorney, Deborah Katz. He will always have an asterisk next to his name. When he takes a scalpel to Roe v. Wade, we will know who he is, we know his character, and we know what motivates him. And that is important. It is important that we know, and that was part of what motivated Christine. That's part of what motivated Christine, is she wants to keep killing babies. She wants a lot of women to keep killing a million babies a year, and so she's going to completely make up a story. By the way, for the people who say that Christine Blasey Ford was telling the truth, the question you've got to ask them is, when was she telling the truth? 
there were three guys in the room, then there were four guys, then there were five guys, then it was this guy, then it was that guy, then she's pretty sure Kavanaugh was there, but I don't know, and when was the party? She doesn't know. Where was the party? Have no idea. How did it happen? Couldn't possibly tell you. She changed her story like four or five times, officially, not even just to random people. She, while speaking to the Senate, changed her story multiple times. So for those of you who are saying she was honest, she was telling the truth, when was she telling the truth? Okay, if you believe that one time is when she was telling the truth, all the other times she was lying or misremembering, which would be the charitable way to put it. But if she's misremembering that event that happened, I don't know, 30 years ago maybe, then I don't think her memory is terribly reliable on the other details either. The Ramirez thing that Brett Kavanaugh pulled out, little Brettino, when he was a freshman, had no corroboration at all. Ramirez wouldn't come forward uh, to corroborate this. Eventually, she kind of came out and became public about it, but they tried to get anyone else in the room to say that it happened. No one would do it. Even uh, Leland Kaiser. Leland Kaiser was Christine Blasey Ford's best friend, allegedly at the same party. She said she had no recollection of this happening. She didn't believe it. Just nothing. Then we got to Julie Swetnick. This was another crazy accuser came out of the woodwork. Uh, Michael Avenatti dug her up out of somewhere, and she said that Brett Kavanaugh gang raped her. That allegation completely fell apart, and the mainstream media stopped talking about it. So now we have another claim made by another lunatic on behalf of someone with absolutely no recollection of it. Why are they trying this again when it hurt them so bad in, for the first time? The main reason, the main reason that they are trying it again is they got nothing to run on. They can't run on the economy. They can't run on wars in the Middle East. They can't run on anything, really. I mean, everything's going pretty well in the country. Can't run on manufacturing, can't run on trade policy, can't run on immigration because their immigration views are very unpopular. So instead, they're just trying to repeat the same failed strategies over and over and over. Rapist, racist, traitor. I think the second reason why they're bringing this up is Ginsburg's health. Justice RBG came out, you know, she's been being treated for cancer. She's had radiation treatment all summer. She hasn't been showing up to court. She's very elderly in, to begin with. So even if she had a good bill of health, you never know when she's going to leave the court, either voluntarily or involuntarily. And so they want to ramp this up to try to get the Democrat base juiced for the judges in the 2020 election. That's the other. But the third reason, this is kind of the underlying reason, is they don't, the left doesn't learn anything. They don't get it. They don't know nothing. And what they don't know nothing about, especially, is that everybody knows everything. It's so transparent that if the left had even a modicum of respect for the American people, they would say, mm, yeah, that one didn't work. We didn't pull the wool over their eyes last time. Let's not try it again. It's really insulting the American people's intelligence to try this, this nonsense with them. But they don't have any respect for the American people, so they're going to try it again and again and again. And it's hilarious to watch from the sidelines. I feel bad for Brett Kavanaugh because he, he is having his reputation tarnished. But the good news on it is nobody believes this nonsense. To show you what this is all about, because what this, boil, this judge thing boiled down to was abortion, right? Christine Blasey Ford's attorney says she was motivated by trying to keep Roe versus Wade. What does that mean? We hear a woman's right to choose. We hear the war on women, women's health. What does that mean? There's a story just came out of South Bend, Indiana. There was an abortion doctor who died there on September 3rd, Dr. Ulrich Klopfer. He just sounds evil, doesn't he? He's got an evil sounding name. They found on his property 2,246 fetal remains on his property in South Bend. 2,246 dead baby parts that this sicko collected. 
He killed the babies, then he collected their body parts, took them home, and saved them. For what purpose? I don't even want to begin to imagine. The story here is not that the abortionist is a sociopath. All abortionists are sociopaths. I should say with some, I should put a caveat here. The abortionists who don't repent are sociopaths. There have been some people who have worked in the abortion industry and then they've gotten out and said this is so horrifying. I mean, Dr. Bernard Nathanson, he was one of the guys who founded NARAL, the pro-abortion organization, biggest one in the country. He was performing abortions and he came out. Now he's a major pro-life advocate. Abby Johnson, obviously, an un unplanned. She worked in the abortion industry. Now she's one of the biggest pro-life advocates. But the ones who don't repent, the ones who just keep it going, they're all sociopaths. So this is not a surprising story. The story here, just like in the Kermit Gosnell case, another sick sociopath abortionist who saved little baby parts as mementos of the babies he killed, the, the real story here is the media won't cover it. The media won't cover it. The same media that are hurling these completely baseless smears at the right, at a Supreme Court justice, at conservatives, that same media, when you get a major story like this, abortionist has 2,200 baby parts in his home, they don't cover it, just like they didn't cover Gosnell. You know, Kermit Gosnell, biggest mass murderer in American history, killed all these babies. The babies would be born and then he would kill them. Wasn't even killing them just before they were born. When they were having his trial, when, when he was in front of the judge, they had a whole section for the media. The section was empty. Nobody showed up because they don't want to talk about it. This story is almost exclusively being covered by local news and conservative outlets. You very likely haven't heard about it anywhere other than this show. Or maybe you saw it on the Daily Wire or something. But you certainly didn't read about it in the Washington Post or the New York Times or CNN. Same story with Gosnell. The left is vicious. And the leftist media in particular is sort of leading the way here. They are so vicious they have absolutely no credibility. They have absolutely no standards. And the stakes of this battle are high. 2,246 dead baby parts. By the way, there was no evidence that the guy ever performed any of these procedures at his home. More likely, he performed the procedures at a doctor's office and then kept them and took them home as souvenirs. That is some sick stuff and you have an entire Democrat media complex covering up for it. And meanwhile, distracting with more completely baseless allegations of rape. Can you imagine joking about rape, lying about rape on the cover of the New York Times? Because that's what it is. It's making a mockery of rape. It's, it's doing such a disservice to all the actual victims of rape by saying, now nah, we're going to use this as a cudgel. Isn't true. We know it's not true. Don't care might be useful, and that way we get to protect abortionists like Dr. Ulrich Klopfer, who take home 2,200 baby body parts as mementos to do whatever sick stuff he's going to do with it at his own home. This shows us the utility of Trump. This shows us the importance of elections. This shows us the importance of electing that guy that a lot of people didn't like in 2016. A lot of that election was about the conservative judges. Brett Kavanaugh gets on the court. They were so furious. They're still trying to get him kicked off the court. They're still trying to impeach him. That's how important it was to the left to keep him off the court. That was what the 2016 election was about. These babies. Trump has had great abortion policy. 
You, you still hear people on the left, they say, well, Trump used to be pro-choice. Hell, he might have paid for a couple abortions himself. We don't know. Even if all of that were true, he's been great on abortion. He's put up a lot of originalist judges. He's been great on abortion policy. He secretly defunded 10% of Planned Parenthood just by changing Title 10. He reinstituted the Mexico City policy, so we're not funding abortions overseas. He's been superb on abortion policy. Those are the stakes. That is the importance. That's the utility. What it also does is it throws into stark relief the flip side of that. You know, we looked at the flip side of the James Burnham law. Everybody knows everything. Nobody knows nothing. You see the flip side of this, the importance of a guy like Trump, who maybe you don't like him personally, maybe you find him distasteful, but he's really doing great things. The flip side of that is the uselessness and the counterproductivity of spineless Republicans and fake conservatives, the Mitt Romneys of the world. Mitt Romney, the story with him, I don't even want to talk about him and waste time on the show, but the story is he is not going to endorse anybody in 2020. He's not going to do it. Why would he endorse somebody in 2020? It doesn't matter. Sure, you've got the Democrat media complex smearing good men, mocking rape. I mean, making a whole mockery of the crime of rape, trying to cover up for people who, who keep the mementos and souvenirs of 2,200 babies that they've killed. Yeah, sure, you got that going on. But, you know, the tweets, mm, they're yucky. I don't like the tweets. So Mitt Romney, completely useless not going to endorse. He probably would endorse somebody else if he could, but he knows he'd probably lose his Senate seat if he did that. He just doesn't understand the cultural battle that we're in or else he doesn't care. It, it just gets to me when I, I you, you know, I sometimes go off on the people who say, I call them the conservatives, but not that kind of conservatives. They're the conservatives who all they ever want to do is criticize other conservatives. And the minute that the New York Times looks their way, they, they turn beet red. They get so excited, their heart goes pitter-patter. Oh, please, left, love me, love me. The Mitt Romney types. Mitt Romney was always like this. You know, th there's this idea, I think, among some people, the, the, I guess, whatever the remainder of the never-Trump wing, you know, the three people who are running against him, and maybe Bill Kristol, those guys have kind of constructed this narrative that somebody like Mitt Romney was somehow more conservative, had more integrity than Donald Trump. He doesn't. Just a little reminder, just a quick little reminder of Mitt Romney's political legacy. Here, here's Romney endorsing abortion and denigrating Ronald Reagan. So when asked, will I preserve and protect a woman's right to choose, I make an unequivocal answer, yes. I will preserve and protect a woman's right to choose and am devoted and dedicated to honoring my word in that regard. I will not change any provisions of Massachusetts's pro-choice laws. Look, I was an independent during the time of Reagan Bush. I'm not trying to return to Reagan Bush. My positions don't talk about things that you suggest they talk about. You're right. You're right. You are. You're an independent. You're a liberal. That's what he is. And, and I'm just so sick of this idea that Romney and, and the Romneys of the world are these dignified statesmen, these true conservatives, and, and the people who support Trump are not true conservatives. Romney's not a true conservative. He's an empty suit liberal shill who will say absolutely anything to get elected and has no loyalty to any principle or any party because he doesn't have any principles and he only has a party when it's convenient to him. The stakes are too high for Mitt Romney's. The stakes are too high. Look at the New York Times, which has been so dishonest for so many years, but is just basically coming all out with it now and saying, yeah, we're not a newspaper. We're not. We're just here to smear any conservative that we don't like based on absolutely nothing. And then when we get called out for getting the facts completely wrong, we're not even really going to admit it and we're still going to hide a lot of stuff. The stakes are too high 
for this. And they are, they're, the left is just repeating this game again and again at higher and higher intensity. You know, President Trump has a lot of vulnerabilities going into 2020. The stakes are too high. The one bit of good news, though, by the way, is the guys going up against him are weak. We will get to Joe Biden telling about the old gangster that he once almost whipped with a metal chain. Corn popped the gangster. Then we'll get to a pop star coming out as gender neutral. A lot more to get to, but you got to go to dailywire.com. Ten bucks a month, hundred dollars for an annual membership. You get me, you get the Andrew Clavin show, you get the Ben Shapiro show, you get the Matt Wall show, you get to ask questions in the mailbag coming up on Thursday. You get another kingdom, which is going to be fantastic this season. And you get the leftist tears tumbler. You're going to need it. Joe Biden's going to need it. Probably Corn Pop is going to need it too. Head on over to dailywire.com. We'll be back with a lot more. My absolute favorite story today, I mean, the main story, obviously, is this Kavanaugh thing. But my favorite story, favorite one of all, Joe Biden telling a tale about Corn Pop. This video is not from the campaign trail, apparently. I think it's like a year or two old. But it tells you so much about Joe Biden. It tells you why his campaign is so outdated. And it tells you why he's been so weak as a presidential candidate for his entire career. Here's Joe Biden recounting the absolutely, totally true, not at all made up story about the time he almost whipped Corn Pop with a metal chain. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. And he ran a bunch of bad boys. And I did. And back in those days, to show how things have changed, one of the things you had to use, if you used pomade in your hair, you had to wear a bathing cap. And so he was up on the board, wouldn't listen to me. I said, hey, Esther, you. Off the board, or I'll come up and drag you off. Well, he came off, and he said, I'll meet you outside. My car, this was mostly, these were all public housing behind it. My car, there was a gate out here. I parked my car outside the gate. And I, he said, I'll be waiting for you. He was waiting for three guys in straight razors. Not a joke. There was a guy named Bill Wright, Mouse, the only white guy, and he did all the pools. He was the mechanic. And I said, what am I going to do? He said, come down here in the basement where mechanics, where, where, where all the pool f- f- filter is. You know, the chain, there used to be a chain that went across the deep end. And he cut off a six-foot length of chain. He folded up. He said, you walk out with that chain. And you walk to the car and say, you may cut me, man, but I'm going to wrap this chain around your head. It goes on. I'll, I'll just spoiler alert. Joe Biden didn't wrap the chain around Corn Pop's head. Corn Pop didn't slice him with the razor. They all went on with their lives and lived happily ever after. They lived happily ever after, I use that phrase, because this is obviously a fable. This is a fairy tale. It never happened. Nobody thinks it happened. Everybody knows that it didn't happen. And Joe Biden isn't fooling anybody. But there's so much wrong in this story. Corn Pop almost certainly does not exist. It reminds me of when Cory Booker talked about his old drug dealer friend T-Bone in Newark. Said, yeah, my old buddy T-Bone and I, we had this relationship and, you know, I'd see him on the streets of Newark. And so somebody realized, you know, Cory Booker, there is no way that you, Oxford educated, Yale educated, very nice guy, looks good in a good suit with a nice tie. You have never once in your whole life met a guy named T-Bone. Possibly because nobody's actually named T-Bone. That's, that's what a kind of preppy, nice guy who goes to good schools and wears suits and runs for the Senate. That's like the caricature of what he thinks guys on the streets of Newark are, are like, T-Bone. 
Eventually, Corey had to come out and admit that T-Bone is a fictitious person, but the way he tried to spin it is he said, well, he's a, he's a composite character of lots of different figures in my life. So that's another word for you completely made him up. What do you mean? A, there are no composite people in the world. There are people, and then there are people that you make up, and the people you make up are T-Bone. Corn Pop is going to be one of these two. What it tells you is a little bit of how Joe Biden views the world, how Joe Biden views race relations, because what this is essentially about is race and reaching across the aisle in race, reaching across the racial divide. He said he was pretty much the only white guy there, maybe one or two other white guys. Everyone else in the neighborhood was black, but he wasn't going to be kowtowed, and he wasn't going to, he was going to forge a real relationship with Corn Pop. He was going to get the respect of all those black people. And he was going to show, we're not so different after all, Corn Pop. We're going to live together in society. I guess that's what it's about. Nobody's buying this. Nobody's buying this at all. The other reason, I actually don't think that's going to kill him totally. It, it's not good for him, but it's part and parcel of his whole career, which is lying and making things up and stealing stories and creating false narratives. It's the references. The references he's making are so dated. Corn pop? I mean, I guess he's talking about a, a character from the past, so fine, but it just reminds you, man, Joe Biden's really old. But then he yells out, he says, hey, Esther. He's talking about, who is it, Esther Williams, a famous swimmer from, you know, like the 1350s or whenever this story allegedly occurred, you know, 60 years ago or something. Hey, Esther. People aren't even named Esther anymore. I mean, it's just everything about this story reminds you how unbelievably old this guy is. And it's not that he's old, it's that he seems old. Trump is older too, but he doesn't seem old. Ronald Reagan was older when he was president. He didn't seem old, he seemed young. Joe Biden has that problem. And what it comes down to for him is that everybody knows it. What, the whole Biden campaign is based on electability. Joe Biden's so electable. And what, what the electability argument means is, look, I, an educated, smart, good person, wouldn't really like Joe Biden and don't want to vote for him. But all those idiot masses out there could get behind him, all those dumb people who, you know, they're not like me because I'm so smart and good. And so because all those idiots like him, he'll be a good candidate. Hey, dude, you're not that much smarter than everybody else. You're probably not smarter than everybody else at all. You might very well be dumber than everybody else. And if everybody is thinking that, which they are because everybody knows everything, then he's not the most electable candidate. He's just pretend electable. He's, he's electable in this imaginary world where you, in your arrogance, think that you're so much smarter than everybody else, but you're not. Everybody knows everything except the people, the, the experts, the elites, the prognosticators, the Joe Biden himself, who think that they're hiding this reality from everybody. They don't know nothing, but everybody does know everything. They see it. You can't conceal these realities from people. These videos are going to keep coming out and out and out. If the Democratic Party is serious about winning the election. If they wise up, they've got to get over their own pride. They have to have a little humility. They have to re have a little respect for the American people and say, hmm, you know, if we're thinking it, they might be thinking it too. Let's give them a serious candidate and not just Joe Biden and Corn Pop. Something tells me though, they're not going to get that respect for the American people. And that's good news for the right. That's great news for conservatives. Just a, another little, a little story here before we go. This is a story maybe you, you've read about, but probably you haven't because it's about this singer, Sam Smith. I actually like Sam Smith. He's, he's got a couple good tunes, but obviously I don't, it's not like I'm waiting in line or downloading his albums or anything like that. The reason Sam Smith matters right now is he just came out 
big pop star, Grammy winner, and he declared for the third time in less than a year that he is neither a man nor a woman. Now, the reason this matters, not because of Sam Smith's music or anything, because it shows you the logical end of the gender identity movement. So Sam Smith posts, now, now for the third time, on Instagram, he says, quote, I've decided I am changing my pronouns to they slash them after a lifetime of being at war with my gender. I've decided to embrace myself for who I am inside and out. I'm so excited and privileged to be surrounded by people that support me in this decision. But I've been very nervous about announcing this because I care too much about what people think. But F it. I understand there will be many mistakes and misgendering. But all I ask is you please, please try. I hope you can see me like I see myself now. So that's what he just said. He also said all of this back in March. He also said all of this back in October. This is a ploy for attention. He may be confused about his sexuality. I think he's homosexual, although now I don't know if he's homosexual, because if you're homosexual, it means you're attracted to people of the same sex, and now he's saying he's not, not a man, but I think he's still attracted to men, but he doesn't have any sex at all, so it's very, very confusing. I'm at least as confused as he is. But it's the constant play for attention, and it's a play for sympathy. I mean, it's, it shows you the logical end of the gender identity movement just in this particular case, because the next time he's up for a Grammy, they're not going to know what category to put him in. Is it, are they going to put him in with the male artist category? I mean, he's got a beard, and he is a man. Or are they going to put him in the female artist category? He's not at all a woman. There, nothing about him is a woman. He doesn't even look feminine. I guess they're not going to put him in that. But really what they're probably going to do is just abolish sex categories for these awards anyway, even though men and women sound very different musically, have very different voices, makes perfect sense for them to have separate categories. They're going to abolish it because the logical end of all of this is abolishing sexual difference. Sexual difference is very important. There's a reason why every creation story begins with sexual difference. The book of Genesis, in the beginning God created man, both male and female, he created them. The reason that this, this has endured, this understanding of ourselves and our origin, is because sex really matters and the sexual difference really matters. Men and women, that, that explains much of the story of our lives. Gilgamesh, there's an older story than Genesis, begins with sexual difference. In fact, civilization begins when a kind of ruffian, wild, bestial man comes out of the woods and has sex with a beautiful woman, a sacred prostitute. That sexual difference really matters. What the left wants to do, though, in this fantasy, is abolish sexual difference entirely. And they're almost certainly going to do it at the Grammys and in the awards shows because they're so far gone at this point. They have no, it would take so long to argue back to what we all know to be true, which is that men and women are different. So, and now what, what this guy Sam Smith is doing in another play for attention and sympathy is saying, you have to refer to me as they, them. That is true. And, and to say otherwise is misgendering. Misgendering. But the only misgendering is what he's doing, because he is a he. He is a man. In, in fact, even if he thought he were a woman, it, it, would, it would be better to call him she or her than to call him they or them, because they or them means that he is multiple people. He might have multiple personalities for all we know, but he isn't multiple people. It is such an assault on the English language. It's such an assault on logic and reason. But that is the illogical conclusion, I guess, of the gender identity movement. And he's going to get the sympathy, and he's going to get the attention, and the Grammys are almost certainly going to abolish sex difference categories. 
but people know it isn't true. They know. They know deep down. And the more the left insists on this lie, it shows you that the left is not confident in what they believe in because they're just bullying you all the time. If you don't, if you don't say that up is down, you're a bigot. If you don't say that I'm multiple people and you don't refer to he as they or them, you are an awful, hateful bigot and you will be ostracized and you'll lose your job and you'll be kicked out of school and you won't be invited to fun parties anymore. If you don't go along with us, if you don't oppose Trump, if you don't support abortion, if you don't support Roe versus Wade, we're going to smear you as a rapist. We're going to make up allegations against you. We're going to put it on the cover of the New York Times. When we get called out for our lies, we're going to double down on them. That is what they're telling you. They're telling you that because they know that their fundamental arguments are not connected to reality. Their fundamental arguments aren't true. If you're describing things that are true, you don't need to be so hardcore about it. You don't need to be so intense and so coercive. You don't need to be so insistent that everybody constantly affirm your fantasies because you just know it's true. I don't need to go out every day and say, the sun is shining out on the street. The sun is shining. Everybody say it. The sun is shining because the sun is shining. We all know it. Two plus two equals four. You have to say that because we all know it's true. But, it, but if I were trying to convince people to live in a world where 2 plus 2 equals 5, I would have to make them all say it again and again. That's the plot of 1984 by George Orwell. The way they finally break Winston in 1984 is by forcing him to say that 2 plus 2 equals 5. That's how they get him. And they insist on it under torture, under duress. That is what they're doing now. And the more they double down on that, the more it's going to hurt them in the long run. It is a fantasy. It is not sustainable because at the bottom, everybody knows reality. Everybody knows everything. And the people who are trying to insist on that fantasy are going to lose in the end. And they're going to lose in part because they don't know anything. They don't even know that basic fact. Everybody knows the reality. And the party that corresponds to reality, the political movement that corresponds to reality, that treats people with some respect by telling them, that reality is reality, that they, they don't need to disbelieve their own eyes. The party that treats the world in that way and treats people with that sort of respect is in the long run going to win. And that is bad news for the left. That's our show. Come on back tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you then. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Rebecca Dobkowitz and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. On the Matt Walsh Show, we're not just discussing politics. We're talking culture, faith, family, all of the things that are really important to you. So come join the conversation.